0: Our God is indeed good, is he not? Amen. Amen.
1: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Pastor Ray Cosley. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just so good that you're with us on this morning. As we customarily do, if you could please stand with me as we recite our values together as a church. I will say the value, and then we'll read the statement in one voice. A gospel-centered life gospel is the basis of our intimacy with god and our power for true transformation a gospel revealing community our love that transcends all natural bonds all people will know that we are christ's disciples unapologetic proclamation of scripture we stand on the solid rock of scripture without compromise for all of the ground is sinking sand church as family we, as followers of Jesus, pursue his vision of family through our deep and mutual commitment into dependence and affection, and lastly, a missional community. We join God's mission to make disciples by demonstrating tangibly the power of the gospel in our city and in the world.
0: You may be seated. And go with me before the Lord in prayer. Yes, Christ, be magnified. From the altar, God, of every single life under the sound of my voice be magnified. Because you are indeed worthy of it all. And so God, will you please help us to see your worthiness more clearly today. And God, that from that place we would magnify your name. And so I just pray for every single individual right now. God, please, would you meet every man, woman, and child? God, will you meet us in the places, Lord God, where you know they are needed in a way that goes far beyond my capabilities. God, we are engaging in something that is supernatural. God, help us to be present in that. This is not just another activity or an event. This is an encounter. As you encounter us, God, grant our hearts the space and ability to encounter you. And from that place, God, I pray we walk away changed. Not by might nor by power, but by your spirit I ask it. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen.
1: Well, it's been so good to have Andrew, our brother with us, our worship arts, creative arts director, just for leading us, and we look forward to all of the seasons that God has him with us, leading us before the worship of our God. So I thought in some way I'd actually talk a little bit about worship. Worship from a vantage point that goes beyond the building. You see, God has sent us here to this city, to this building, for a reason. And he is wanting us, in some way, shape, or form, to build. To build in such a way that we make disciples of Christ. People who are changed and defined by the gospel. To live radically for God's glory in our world. And if you could picture with me what perhaps could be the vision For what God would have us here in this place we call Pasadena. Could it be maybe that in the future God could have this place be a place where ministries are gathering? From small groups to various events like our picnic. Trainings, even conferences for the sake of discipleship and for community formation. If you could picture with me. This place, Living Way Community Church, being a hotbed for global missions. Sending people on short-term and long-term trips, planning churches with unreached and unengaged people groups. Imagine this place being a place buzzing with activity, with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, every race, every age, worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. A place where we can participate in community living together, striving together to allow God to come in this community and move us closer to the vision of what it means to be mature in Jesus Christ. Imagine starting a school, a homeschooling co-op for our children to stem the tide for for the next generation that we see abandoned in the faith. Where education is trying to move people away from God, What what if we could actually stem the tide in some way, shape, or form and move our generation of children closer to god a people that will not bow their knee to Baal, a place where we can root ourselves and begin to infiltrate the very sectors of society within the city around us christ-centered churches media and tech coming alongside the economic challenges the community that is attempting to truly find god in christ jesus you see god has called us here for a reason And we are in a place right now where we're seeking to figure out, God, just why have you done this miracle among us? Why did you go so far to bring us here? So the question that I have for us is, what does it look like for us to build, to engage in this mission to make disciples from a place of worship? How do we actually engage this mission to make disciples who are changed and defined by the gospel? And how do we do it in a way that it puts the very worth of God on display in our pursuit of that mission? We find ourselves in the book of Exodus. You have Genesis, and then you have Exodus. Exodus chapter 35. And the Israelites are in the middle of a building campaign. They are building the tabernacle. And they aren't just building a structure. This is a project that is indeed beyond the building. What does the tabernacle actually represent in Scripture? It actually represents presence. And notice with the tabernacle, before the inauguration of the temple... The tabernacle, whenever the children of Israel moved, the tabernacle moved with them. So really, the tabernacle was an indication of not only the presence of God amongst his people, but the presence of God on the move. You see, the tabernacle actually was a mirror of the Garden of Eden. It was pointing Israel back to Eden. Well, why? Because, see, it was in Eden that the very mandate to spread the very presence of God was actually inaugurated. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. So the question becomes, is, What does it mean for us to be made in the image of God? Well, the very first thing that we learn from the text of what it means to actually be image bearers of God, the Imago Dei, he says this. And let us take dominion. So, the first reality of what it means for us to be made in the image of God is to take dominion. And then in verse 28, he tells them, Be fruitful in what? Multiply. In other words, spread my image through other image bearers across the entire world. See, Eden was a very small portion of the world. The rest of the world had yet to be habitated with the very presence of God. So the mandate in Genesis one, twenty six through twenty eight was a mandate to spread the tabernacling presence over the whole entire earth. And here's the question What are we now in Christ? The temple of the what? Holy Spirit. We are actually the embodiment of what the tabernacle was designed to be. Namely, we now are moving tents, carrying the very presence of God with the very same Edenic mandate, go and make what? Disciples. In other words, go and take dominion by making disciples so that we ultimately might glorify God in the world. You see, we as a church, we're in preparation time right now. We want to be able to engage this mission as the tabernacling presence of God in a way in which God is glorified in the way He intended for it to be here with us. And so here we have in Exodus, God giving the children of Israel, He gives them seven long, exhaustingly detailed chapters from chapter 25 to 31 of what it looks like to actually build this tabernacling presence. And God gives them very specific and copious instructions on how to build this place of worship so that the mission of God might go forth. Now, in chapter 35, he begins to tell them, after chapter 31, giving them the details of what it should look like, now it's time, in chapter 35, let's go build it. And what we will see is not only were they building a place of worship, okay, The very act of building it was also an act of worship. And in the same way that God is now has us here, how we are actually in the process of building up what it looks like, there's a way in which we can build up the things that we need to do so we can do the mandate of missions around here that actually points to worship. So here's my two questions. What does it look like for us to build, to engage this mission from a place of worship? How do we engage our mission to build in a way that it puts the worth of God on display? And then, secondarily, what's the fuel that will empower us to do this? First question, how do we build in a way that puts the worth of God on display in our pursuit of the mission to make disciples? We see in chapter 35, verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze. Go down to verse 30. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, See, the Lord is called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur. Of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, with intelligence, with knowledge, and with craftsmanship to devise all artistic designs to the work of gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones of setting, and in carving wood for every skilled craft. And he has inspired him to teach both him and Aholiab, the son of Ah Ahisamech of the tribe of Dan. He has filled them with the skill to do every sort of work done by an engraver or by a designer or by an embroiderer in blue and purple, scarlet yarns, fine twined linen, or by a weaver, by any sort of workman or skilled designer. How do we prepare for our mission mandate to display the worth of God? What we see here is giving. 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 We see two expressions of giving here in the text, and I read both of them. The first one that we see is in verses 30 and 31, where he tells of Moses says to the people of Israel, the Lord is named Bezalel, and he is also in verse 31 named Aholiab. They were to actually move the project forward by using their skills and abilities so the first expression of the display of the worth of God in building up the tabernacle is the giving of one's talents. We see in Exodus chapter 31, verses 2 through 6, he says, See, I have called the na- by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, the tribe of Judah, and have filled him with the Spirit of God. Everybody say filled him. With ability. Everybody say Ability. And intelligence, with knowledge in all craftsmanship, to divine artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones, for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamech, of the tribe of Ban, Dan, and everybody see this. And I have given to all, everybody say all, able men ability, everybody say ability, that they may make all that i have commanded you you see the connection there in the text he first notice that he's given them these abilities to all notice that these abilities are god-given namely filled with the spirit and notice why he gives the abilities so that they may make all that i have commanded in other words i have given you gifts I've given you abilities, I've given you talents that are God-given, God-empowering for the sake of moving along my agenda in the world. Does this not parallel us, the new covenant church? 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 7. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same what, everyone? Spirit, just like Bezalel, just like Aholiab. And there are varieties of service, But the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in... And what does that say? Everybody say everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And then, what purpose? For the common good. Notice it's almost a mirror to the text in Exodus. Notice, all have been given who are in Jesus notice they are god-given and empowered namely they are fueled by the holy spirit and notice why he gave those gifts for the common good to spread the aroma of who he is in the world see here's the reality there is a spirit endowed ability that is god has given to you to be used for this church that he once fulfilled through you to spread the aroma of Christ as a result. Pastor James said it a couple weeks ago. We live in a day and age in the church where we don't want to ask for commitment. Right? If you really want to grow a church, he said, then the last thing you want to do is tell people, commit. I mean, We've created, as he said, a, a, a consumer church culture. What do you expect? Right, convenient parking, recliners in the sanctuary. We ain't getting those, homie. Just, just telling y'all right now. It's not in the budget. State-of-the-art children's ministries where you get gluten-free snacks. My children could be in that youth group. That, that was hard for y'all, wasn't it? Being in children's ministry, no gluten-free snacks. All my family is gluten-free, for those of you who don't know, except for me. No, I love it. Oh, praise the Lord. That's why I get my donuts anyway. (laughs) You you, got to get me in and out of church in an hour. Good luck. Good luck with me because I'll be preaching for an hour. That's some of y'all smiling. So I can get my church quota in and go about my week. I mean, today's age, we don't even need to go to church, right? We can just stream it. And for some people, that's legitimate. That's a legitimate need. But for the majority of us, in so many ways, that's just an excuse for us to stay home. Here's the reality. You can't live out your spirit-given, endowed, gifting for the sake of God's mission in and through the church, rolling out of bed with your remote in your hand, doing chores in the background. I'm talking to some of y'all. I know what y'all was doing during covid I know when we had live stream, it wasn't just focus. You can't live out 1 Corinthians 12 in isolation. The only way you can use the spirit-empowered gift that God has given you to push forward his mandate through his church in the world is to be present. But not only to be present, but engaged. You see, some of you need to stop dating the church, Pastor James said, and put a ring on it. But some of y'all who have a ring on it right now need to get in the ring and start fighting for the growth and betterment of the bride that you put a ring on represented here at Living Way Community Church with the abilities and gifts that
0: God has given you. Come on now. Can I get an amen? Here's a reality, church.
1: God brought us here for a reason. We will not reach our mission in the way God envisions us as living way to make disciples without all hands on deck. You see, if God has you here, then he has a gifting and an endowment and an ability that he has given you for the sake of this body right here. And if it's not for the sake of this body, you need to go find a body where you can give the sake of it to. Amen. Now we see a second expression in Exodus 35 of giving. Not only giving our talent, not only giving our abilities, but we see in verse 4 and 5, chapter 35. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel: This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution. Everybody say contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, bronze. The second expression of giving that displays the worth of God in the movement of God's mission of tabernacling his presence in the world is our resources, our treasures. If you notice in verses 4 and 5, all the materials that, that, that came, that, that, that he names there as he begins to go on from verse 5, he starts to talk about all these different things, blue, purple, scarlet, yarn, all these are the different things. All these are materials that came from the Israelites. If God wanted to, he could have just dropped the tabernacle down from heaven. Could he have not? You realize that's what he's going to do in Revelation, Right? At the end of the age, he's dropping tabernacle. It's just blue. Can't wait for that day, amen? He could have done it right here, but he didn't. He wanted to use his what? People. Because here's the reality. Giving has a very powerful effect on our sanctification. And it is in our giving, which is why God makes Israel give, that God is not only doing a work through them and through us, but in us. You see, giving aligns and weans us off of earth and causes us to leave our eyes toward heaven. You see, giving, it compels us to see what's here on earth as moth and rust and therefore motivate us to lay up treasures in heaven. You see, giving, it reminds us that this is not our home. You see, giving, it gives us the hunger for an investment in what will last beyond the breath that we breathe. You see, here's the amazing part of God's call to give in this text, which is so interesting. At the very beginning, or toward the beginning of Exodus, in Exodus chapter 12, it says, The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them. For they asked the Egyptians, they're still in Egypt, for silver, gold, jewelry, and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people what? Everybody say favor. In the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Well, let's look at the resources that the children of Israel are now in chapter 35. Look at verse 20 giving toward the tabernacle of God. Then all the congregation of the people, verse 20 of Israel, ...departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its services, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches, earrings, signet rings, and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord... And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns and fine linen or goat's hair or tanned rams, skins or goat skins, brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. Does that list kind of sound a little familiar? Doesn't that kind of sound like Exodus chapter 12? When they plundered Egypt with all of their jewels and resources, they plundered them. So what we see here in chapter 35 is that God is asking Israel that they give freely back to him what he had freely given to them. But watch this. We see in chapter 12 of Exodus, God gave it to them freely. It says that God gave him favor. I'm going to tell you this right now. Everything in your bank account is from the favor of God. Everything you got on your back, everything you're wearing, everything you're driving is God's favor in your life. And here, what God is saying is, don't forget that I gave it to you. And don't forget why I gave it to you. And then watch this. Here's the stunning part about God. Chapter 35, verse 5. Take from among you a contribution of the Lord, whoever is of a generous—everybody say generous—generous generous heart, let him bring it. Look at verse 21. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him— brought contributions look at verse 22 so they came both men and women all who were of a willing everybody say willing look at verse 29 all the men and women the people of israel whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work this is the stunning part about what what's happening here god is not demanding it and he should and could have he's saying you can give it willingly and freely That's crazy. God should have been like, y'all need to pony up right now. But instead what God does is, he says, if it moves you in your heart, then be generous. If you're willing, in other words, if you're not willing, then it's okay. You don't have to bring it. See, what you have has been freely given to you. so here's what I have to say to us and how it applies. There is a plunder of God in your life that he has set aside for you to give to him for the spread of his all-satisfying work in and through his church beyond your customary 10%. This was a free will offering freely. So they already had the 10% they had to give. They already had to give that tithe. And he's not demanding it, but asking for it freely. There is a plunder, there is a favor. God has plundered Egypt in some way, shape, or form in your life. That he now looks at that plunder that he's given to you and says, I need you to give that back to me for the sake
0: of my name and the church for the world.
1: But I love how he tells them to give it freely. You see, a lot of times we give from different places that aren't freely and willingly. And even you, young adults, my teenagers, even you, you might have, I don't know, $20 in your bank account. You should start trying to give freely even now. But the crazy part about it is sometimes we give from places that aren't driven by what we see here in the text. See, sometimes we give because we want to avoid a disapproving, grumbling spirit from someone else. Never forget, my wife would work so hard to try to make life easier for me when I walked through the door. Having four children, it was not easy. And so she would always know when I was coming home. And so the wifey would start to batten the hatches down. She just went in commando mode and let everybody know in the house, Mariah, Mariah, Raymond, Carice, Trinity, Daddy's coming. Y'all better get this house together. Let's go. Get it right. And they would get to shuffling and hustling. And the reason my wife would want to give me that is because she thought, man, if he comes home to nice and sparkly, and all my kids got on those little bow ties, sit down, you know, at the chair like, welcome home, Daddy, that I would come out being a better person that if I could just do this, then I wouldn't come in grumbling, frustrated, and irritated. Did that happen? Did I come in with a smile on my face like, oh man, this is wonderful. I'm so grateful of the Holy Spirit. Nope. Still walked in, grumbling, complaining. And the wife is like, man, I gave you that, and I didn't get the kind of result that I was looking for. And so she's upset. I'm upset. All of the bow ties start going off. The kids start ripping their clothes. all like chaos. You see, we can give from a place of trying to gain or avoid. And again, so many times my wife was trying to give because she was going to avoid my displeasure. Sometimes we try to give to gain approval or avoid disapproval, do we not? I don't care what we're giving, whether it's a phone call, whether it's a meal, whether it's a hello or a nice text, we give out of a desire to gain recognition and affirmation. We gain to avoid the negative judgments of others. We give with expectations attached to it. And here's how you know you got an expectation, is when you give in some way, shape, or form, and then they don't reciprocate whatever that expectation was, whether it's conscious or subconscious, and you get bitter and angry and frustrated. If you get bitter, then you already know you didn't give from a willing heart. You already know you didn't give freely. There was something attached to it. And that's why God tells them, no, 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 no. I don't want you looking at me bitter, frustrated, angry, God's this heavy-handed. No, you give it freely. So, they will always leave us that way if we don't give from a willing and free heart. i'm convinced of this whether it's church ministry giving or any other type way shape or form 90% of burnout 90% of burnout is because we give from the wrong motives and one of the most freeing things for 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 me for my wife for us as we have just been even exploring this kind of concept she's been exploring it deeply is i'm not going to do it unless i can do it from a place of love Because see, if I'm I'm giving to you in some way, shape, or form, whether it's a sit-down, whether it's a prayer, whether it's a nice text, whatever it may be, if I'm giving it from a place of a free-willing, loving heart, then I don't need nothing back from you because I'm doing it for you, not for me. And so then I can continue to give and be energized for it. Giving of our talents. Giving of our treasures. Uh, and here's the thing about worship. Like, how, what does this have to do with worship? I think a picture of it you can see then in chapter 36, if you go down, verse 3. And they received from Moses all the contribution that the people of Israel had brought from doing the work in the sanctuary. They still kept bringing him free will offerings every morning so that all the craftsmen who were doing every sort of task on the sanctuary came each from the task that he was doing and said to Moses, dude, the people bring much more than enough for doing the work that the Lord commanded us to do so Moses gave command and word um, was proclaimed throughout the camp, let no man or woman do anything more for the contribution for the sanctuary, so the people were restrained from bringing for the material they had was sufficient to do all the work and more You see what a willing heart does? You see what freely does? They were overflowing. They they had too much. Moses was saying, y'all got to stop. Let me just push y'all back. And this is a picture of worship. As they're giving their talents, as they're giving their treasures, what is it putting on display?
0: God's worth.
1: Like, when you see the flood like that, when you see people coming in, like if you were to watch that, if you were to see that, you would be like, dang, somebody must be a whole lot of worth for these people to be giving this much to the point where it's just overflowing, overflowing, overflowing. See, that's how giving is worship because the root word of worship is worth. That's what worship is. It is the display of the worth of God. And giving in that way in 36, 3 through 7, when you give like that, it just, it just screams, man, God must be really worth a lot. He didn't demand it. He didn't require it. They gave it freely, and they gave far more above than even he would have demanded. Ooh, you must have a worthy God. You see, whenever you give to an object with a willing heart from love, it highlights its worth. Always. Just came back from an anniversary trip, and the wife wanted to change plans right in the middle of the trip. So we had bought... Uh, a little airbnb and we were going to go on some trips and all of a sudden she discovers about an hour and a half from where we are actually staying this tree house tent thing that you can live in the jungle it's not a jungle we don't have jungles forests in the forest it's like these bridges you have to walk over the houses are in the trees and they got these nice beautiful lights and at night they turn off and it looks all pretty and wonderful and all this other good stuff now, I hate camping. <laughs> now, but the wife anniversary, I can't blow this, right? Fellas, take notes. we are doing this 25 years. So I put a smile on my face. I said, okay, baby, even though we paid for this place, <laughs> and we still got to pay for this place, you're going to have me pay for another place while we're not in this place. See, right, that's, 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 that's when we was married like two, three years, All right? So I'm just telling y'all, veteran, you know what y'all do? Okay, honey, we got this. You know, you keep your mouth shut, just say, let's go. And so we packed up the, the, the car, jumped in, drove an hour and a half in Kentucky, never been to Kentucky, don't know what's in Kentucky, and got on the road. And then I hate camping, but I just tried to... Grit it, smile, mosquitoes all over the place. Everybody was biting me. I'm I'm dragging, and then, and then, the wifey is scared of heights. You must have lost your mind. Now, you got us all out here in the woods, hour and a half away, paying extra. I could have gone there, right? But no, it's okay, baby. We got this. We got this. So I grabbed all her stuff, walked across the bridge. Went back across the bridge, then almost had to pick her up and bring her across the bridge. But the problem was, the bathroom was all the way across the bridge and down the tree. Okay, you see where I'm going here. But here's the thing. I did all of that for my wife. All of it. And for the most part, I had a good attitude. When you hear that story, knowing I hate camping, you must think this man, your wife must be worth a whole lot, huh? Come on now. Come on now. Right? Right? It's the giving willingly and freely that if somebody were to look at that picture knowing me, they would be like, man, your wife must be worth it. You see, whenever you give to an object from a willing heart, it highlights its worth. So now here's the question. What will enable us To actually give the way that the Israelites gave in chapter 36. Well, you know what God tells them to do? That empowered chapter 36 kind of giving, this willing heart? This is what will enable it. Gaze at his worth. In chapter 35, verse 1, before he even tells them to give, the first thing He says, Is this in chapter 35, verse 1? Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, These are the things that the Lord has commanded to you. Six days' work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. And then, verse 4, Moses tells them to give. Well, that's kind of strange. Why does he tell them to honor the Sabbath when they're supposed to be building a tabernacle? What an odd place to put that. Here's why each time we hear about the Sabbath, we learn something new about why God instituted it. And we learn here, even from this text, if you go up to chapter 34, verse 21, we learn that the Sabbath was to be something without interruption. You see, in verse 21, It actually says, six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. No exceptions. Not even in seed time and harvest. Do you understand in that context, in that culture, that was everything. Seed time and harvest was the best time. And yet God says, in the most plentiful season, you still got to put it down and rest. Why? Why? To remind Israel, I'm Jireh. To remind them, I'm Jehovah Jireh. A day set aside for you to look up. Gaze at my worth that I am provider. You see, they didn't have to be paralyzed with fear. That's why he reminds them in verses 1 through 3 before he tells them to give of their talents and treasure. Why? Because you don't have to fear for an uncertain future because Jireh is here. The provider is here. The one who took Abraham and Isaac and provided a ram who was on Mount Moriah. That God is your God that is with you, tabernacling among you. So you can give freely. You can give talent. You can give treasure because Jireh is with you. And did we not know that and learn that about us who are in Christ? He did not spare his own son. How much more will he also graciously give us a couple things? A few things. All things. You see, when all things are yours, and you see the worth of the provider that's given them, it's easy to open your hands. It's easy to invest your time. But see, when you don't see his worth, and you look here, You're going to be like this. Oh, come on, man. So he commands them in verses 1 through 3 before he starts telling them to give. Look up. Now, here's the other. So not only does he tell them to gaze at his provision, he also tells them to gaze at his protection. Verse 30 of 35. Then Moses said to the people of Israel, see, the Lord has called by name Bezalel. Everybody say Bezalel. And then he says um, Aholiab as well, down in uh, verse 34. He tells them, he gives the names Bezalel and Aholiab. And these were the two individuals that were the leaders to help lead everyone to build the tabernacle. These were the individuals that were up front, that Israel would always see them. Now, here's the crazy part about their, those individuals. You know what their names meant? Aholiab means, Father is my tent. You know what Bezalel means? In the shadow of El. Bezalel. El means God. In other words, their names were representations of who God is and will be for them in the midst of them tabernacling through the wilderness. I'm going to be Bezalel, the shadow over you to protect you. I'm going to be the tent. So their very names were pointing to the very tabernacle that they were building. This reminds us of Psalm 91, 1 through 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow, the shadow, Bezalel, the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Slow down and feel the reality of Psalm 91. That God in Jesus for you right now is shadow. But he isn't just shadow. Psalm 91 says, in the shadow of the Almighty. Everybody say Almighty. In other words, you will be protected by omnipotence. The shadow over your life in Jesus is an almighty, infinite, unending security no matter what happens in your life. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, Romans 8.35. But none of these things can annihilate what is most precious about you because he is your protection, and that is your soul. That's why Jesus said, what profit a man to gain the world and lose your what? You can gain all of this, gain all the contributions here in this world, but if you lose your soul, you've lost what? Everything. But see, in the shadow of the Almighty, the cross is always working all things for good for you. In the shadow of the Almighty, you're not just a conqueror, but we talked about it, you're more than a conqueror, so even your worst nightmares have to get up and serve you. Samuel is an example, amen? In the shadow of omnipotence, there's nothing that comes into your life that isn't filtered through the loving gaze of a God who is committed to love you with all of his heart. You see, in the shadow of omnipotence, the God who is the God says, you can seek first the kingdom because all of these things will be added unto you. You see, your treasures can't give you a home in heaven. Your talents can't give you a purpose that spans the ages 24-7. Your talents and treasures can't redeem you from the pit. It can't pay the wages of your sin or loosen sin's grip. But see, when you've got the omnipotent shadow, you can release your treasures, talents, because you found in him life abundant. You see, Bezalel's name, Aholiab's name, was a constant reminder that your talents are not your protection, that your treasures are not your security, but God is. So every time he was up there giving instructions, they were always saying, hey, Bezalel. Oh, that means shadow of the Almighty. Oh, oh holy Aholiev, Father, is your tent. So, not only are we to gaze at the worth of his provision, not only are we gaze at the worth of his protection, lastly, we're to gaze at the worth of his pardon. You see, do you know what happened before chapter 35 of Exodus? Chapters 32 through 34. But what's interesting about the text, if you read Exodus, chapters 32, 33, and 34 are a pause. There are pauses between the end of chapter 31 and the beginning of chapter 35. If you were to read up to chapter 31 and then skip 32, 33, 34, and then read 35, it would be seamless. Something happened between 32, 33, and 34. And what was it? Remember what I told you. Chapters 25 to 31, God gave Moses the instructions for the temple or the tabernacle. And then chapter 35, he tells the children of Israel, now go execute it. Well, where, did, where was Moses when he was getting the instructions for the tabernacle? He was on the mountain, right? And where were, what were the children of Israel do while he was getting instructions up there? Remember what they were doing? What were they doing? They was acting a fool. They was acting a fool. They was acting up. Yep, yeah, daddy's not here. Mama's gone. We're going to act up. And they built that graven image, the golden calf, did they not? And when Moses came down, judgment came with him. And when God witnessed what the children of Israel had done, what did he do? He showed them mercy. No wonder Israel was like, oh, shoot, chapter 35, God, what you want? God, what do you want? Because we just went through 32, 33, and 34, and you should have lopped all of our heads off, put us in a pit, and been done with us. But the wonder and the beauty and the magnificence of God's pardon, of God's mercy, oh, mercy is a powerful thing because it's Everything for us who are in Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the woman who was probably a prostitute that, that came to Jesus in Luke chapter 7, wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. And she anoints his feet with an alabaster jar of perfume. And we know these things were expensive because if you look at John chapter 12, Judas freaks out when Mary uses this perfume because it's so expensive. And he's like, Man, we could have done something with that for the poor. We know what he wanted to do with it. But Jesus says to the woman that's wiping, she says to this woman, Your sins are forgiven. This woman was a she was from the streets. She was the outcast. She was dirty. She was unworthy of the love of God, and she knew it. And Jesus looks at the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. And you know how Jesus concludes that story with the self-righteous Pharisees in the room? He says, those who are forgiven much love When you understand, when you understand the gravity and the weight of your sin, that it tears, as I said last week, the very fabric of our world, that we destroy mind, body, and soul with our sin, that we break the heart of a righteous and holy God. The wages of sin, Romans 6 says, is death. On account of sin, the heavens are shocked and appalled, Jeremiah 2. On the account of sin, the Bible says the wrath of God is coming, Colossians chapter 3 when that lands and the very guilt of your sin weighs down and you long for a release from the guilt that is on you because you know you deserve God's judgment, you know you deserve that you're flawed, and you hear the voice of Jesus say to your soul, you are forgiven. Go in peace.
0: You will wash his feet with 10,000 jars of alabaster perfume.
1: You see, the realization of the mercy of God releases giving. So as I sum it up, how do we engage our mission? Build in a way. How do we build in a way that puts the worth of God on display? How do we do that? We give, willingly give our talents and treasures for the advancement of God's movement through this body in the world. And what releases that expression of worship? Gazing. Gazing at his provision, protection, and pardon. And so now I want to give us that opportunity to step into just that. I'm going to ask us that we would step into two expressions of giving that we see in the text. At this time, I'd like to call up... uh, our welcome team, ministry coordinator Andy. Our lunch coordinator Eric. And um, who else am I supposed to be having up here? Who else needs some help? I'm missing somebody in the gangs from the welcome team. Um, if you guys could just come up,
0: it's June and Julie.
1: These individuals here are a small representation, if you will, of our Bezalels and our Aholiabs. These are the individuals that are on the front lines of trying to move God's agenda for our mission to make disciples through this church in various ways. They lead our welcome team. Just allow for people to come and know that this is a place where they can feel welcome, and I'm sure each of you in some way have probably been greeted by them or others on our team Andy's is the head of our events ministry well the picnic that we're going to have just doesn't come out of nowhere it takes brothers like this and a team to make it happen and then we got our lunch ministry i don't know how you do it sometimes eric seriously god bless you for the work that you put in week in and week out for us to eat a meal And the reason I bring these individuals up is because they need some people's talents. They need some people's abilities. And I'm asking everybody here, in what way can you come alongside these ministries and give your talent in the way that God has blessed you? Because he's given you something in order to further God's kingdom through this church. And if it's not this ministry, we have others. But this brother needs some hands. Can we get some hands? This brother needs some hands. Can we get some hands? This brother and sister need some hands. Can we get some hands? Can, can it be like Exodus 36 where, where, where Rev, our executive pastor, is like, look, y'all got to chill out. We got too many people. There ain't enough room in there for all y'all. That's the vision of what we want to see here in the giving of our talents because we've been all given abilities for the sake of God's church right here. So if we could give them a hand clap. And if I can ask you, if I can ask you, you see their faces, you see their faces, go up to them and let them know, hey, I'm on the team. All right, thank you guys for coming out. And the way you can do that, amen, amen. And if you want to know how you can just sign up to commit for a ministry, to give your abilities, our Living Way homepage, if you go to our homepage at livingway.la. And that's what the homepage looks like. And then all you do is click in the hamburger section on the top right, and then the next page will look like that. And if you see at the very bottom there, it says serve in ministries. You see that at the very bottom. Just click that, fill out the form, and then you can serve. So that's the first call. And I want to say this as well. Can we give our talents and abilities in our small groups? That means everybody can be mobilized. God has put you in your small group to give in such a way that it can be built up for the sake of his name in that context. Can we all commit to not just be receivers but be contributors? I'm asking you, can we commit to that in our small groups? I'm not just saying, I'm not just saying this. I really want you to hear what I'm saying and ask yourself, God, Holy Spirit, in what way have you given me a plunder? Remember, just like you gave me a plunder for the sake of this group. What's that plunder and how can I step into? it? And then secondarily and lastly, a call to give. And on our homepage, you can give what we're specifically asking is that you give to the Beyond the Building campaign. Is We're still there, and some of you may not be aware of it. But God brought us here, and we started this campaign called Beyond the Building. And, and there are so many of you that just gave wonderful contributions. We, it was kind of like that Exodus chapter 36. We're looking like, man, dang, y'all just poured it in here. So I just want to give a hand clap and a praise the Lord for all you who have given. But there may be some of you who have yet to step into that opportunity to give to the building of what God is doing to tabernacle his presence through living way. That's the issue. That's the mission, to make disciples of Christ, people who are changed and defined by the gospel, to live radically. That's what we're trying to do. And so if you have yet to commit to the building campaign, I want to invite you to do that. You can go to the hamburger and click on it, and then just, I mean, church news. Click on church news, scroll down, and you can commit. And we're asking that you would do that. It doesn't matter. Large, small, it doesn't matter. But here's what I want to ask you to do when you're considering giving. One, give in a way that his worth is seen through you. I don't know what that number looks like. Whatever that number looks like for the worth of God in the way that you give to be seen, then give in that way. When Jesus looked at the woman who had two pennies, it wasn't about her pennies. It was about the fact that she almost even didn't have those two pennies and she gave those pennies. It's not the amount. It's about what puts the worth of God on display in your situation. Secondarily, can you give sacrificially? Ask yourself, what amount can I give that makes me reliant upon God? That that makes me say, ooh, that's going to be tough. But for the sake of God's movement through living way, I'm going to give to the building campaign this amount. And then lastly, can you give above your tithe? Give above your tithe. You notice God told them they already had the tithe in place. This was a free will offering. This was above what they were already required to give. So don't mix it in with your tithe. You set that aside, and then can you give above and beyond that for the building campaign? Because we're trying to build here, church. We're trying to go where God wants us to go. And it's going to require all of us, all of us, to sacrifice the plunder that God has given us in our time time talent and treasure if we want to get to the destination that God has for us do we want to get there together church do we want to get there amen so we can see that vision of exodus chapter 36 God I just pray that you release us God will you release us into a kind of giving God that is demonstrative of this text That it would be said of us like it was in Exodus chapter 36, that the people had to be held back from the measure and the amount that they were giving. And God, I pray we would do it from a place, God, to put your worth on display because you are worthy of it all. So would you grant us that grace, I pray in Jesus' name.